Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, Hiwasachi Argerbright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 60, where we're talking about the second episode in our love and romance theme. We're going to be talking about today An American Marriage by Terry Jones and First Comes Marriage by Kuda Al-Marashi. Yeah, so I'm so excited to talk about these two books. Me too. I feel like both are similar, but also very different. So I'm excited to talk about some of those um, aspects of both books. Yes. And I didn't realize until we were writing the copy and making notes this episode that they both have marriage in the title. Yes, right? (laughs) How perfect is that? (laughs) Uh, And I think the subtitle of First Comes Marriage is something like My Not-So-American Love Story. Oh, I think you're right. They're like they're like mirrors of each other yes. or reflections. <laughs> yes. And we have something for both fiction lovers and nonfiction lovers alike. Yes. So we have everything together. But before we jump into discussing those books more in depth, uh, we do want to talk a little bit about romance versus love stories. All right. I'm, this is educational for me too because, um, <laughs> as we said in the in the last episode, we're both kind of romance novices. So if you're right there with us, uh, listeners, then we can all kind of learn uh, together. Yes, and I have been talking to Agata, and like I mentioned last episode, uh, she is an amazing romance recommender, and. So she pretty much, you can just put keywords and send them to her and she will have a romance for you. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) I I told her she needs to have a romance service. Like, Uh, it is phenomenal. So she is recommending several books for us. And that post went up on Valentine's Day. So you can go check that out. And so she's been, I've been talking with her. So, um, and working with definitions with her. So thank you so much to Agata for helping me out and sending me so many recommendations. (laughs) So I think the fundamental question that a lot of people have is what is exactly a romance novel? And to answer your question, it is not Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh my gosh. So. Good uh, clarification. (laughs) Yes. Like uh, we just need to just. Put that out there. Answer everyone's (laughs) unspoken question. But a romance novel is a novel, first off, with a happy ending. Obviously, it's love between two people. and But it can have a wide range of what we're going to call the spectrum of, of sexy times. So it can be anything from an inspirational romance novel, like the Amish romance novels that my mom loves. Mm. to something closer to erotica. Now, when you get into erotica, it can, I think there's some like subgenre where it doesn't have a happy ending, but we're just going to separate that to its own little thing. Uh, so you, whatever you prefer, whatever your preference, uh, there is something there for you. There's like paranormal romance, there's historical romance, there's uh, almost anything you can imagine, really. Paranormal romance. That sounds very interesting. <laughs> yes, I, they're shapeshifters. What? Yes. I was thinking like ghostly stuff. <laughs> I don't know if oh, that's I'm right. I'm sure there's that, that too. <laughs> <laughs> like like um, the the shows like the Ghost Ghost Hunters, but with romance. <laughs> 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 oh, I always think of like Supernatural with the Winchesters. Oh, yeah. Right? Like I'm sure Which you that probably it- identify with because your last <laughs> name is Winchester. <laughs> yes. Uh True story. First family outing with my husband's family, the Winchesters, was to the Winchester Mystery House. <gasps> that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My father-in-law took out his ID and was like, I really am a Winchester. Oh, my gosh. 
that's such a fun like thing like a dad would do. <laughs> yes, it was very, very Mr. Winchester. So um, you can't make that stuff up. Oh, I love it. I I need to explore some of these subgenres within <laughs> romance. I'm like very jazzed about this. There are. And like Brie mentioned in last episode, like she struggles with historical romance as, you know, mm. a black woman because like it's not really mm. a great time. Right. You know, so people like Beverly Jenkins uh, are writing these amazing historical romance novels featuring African-American protagonists. And, and it features, you know, topics on social justice. And there's a wide range. You whatever your preferences, flavors, whatever story you want it is there for you. I love that. I've been so impressed awesome. learning more about the romance genre. Like, I've been so delighted how amazing romance is. And I believe what we were talking about the other day, the documentary Love Between the Covers. Yes, you were telling me about that. Yeah, so it was recommended to me first by Lisa Cross-Smith. Oh, uh, okay. So we were talking to her after we interviewed her, and she was like, you should go check out this documentary. It's amazing. And so it talks about how not just the, how romance keeps the lights on for publishing, mm-hmm. but that it's also such a diverse and, you know, a genre that's tackling important topics and gives women a way to support themselves and just all the multifaceted nature of the romance world. Yeah, I feel like it sounds like romance definitely is very diverse and giving a really great outlet for female voices. Like, there's something for everyone out there. And, you know, Agata was telling me that she truly believes there's a romance novel for everyone out there. You just haven't found it yet. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> and, and that's what I tell people about books when I try to convert people to the ways of reading. <laughs> Obviously, we got to convert as many people as we can. <laughs> uh, you know, spreading the good news out there about the amazingness of literature. And so I was, like, thinking about that. And so... Again, many thanks to Agata for talking to me about this really in-depthly and taking the time. Today, we are focusing on love stories. So these are what we're calling like gateway books so that you can get into the love story idea and it'll help you progress that direction um, towards romances if you're like us and this is new for you. Uh, So yeah, really excited to talk about them. Uh, And Sachi, you have the first discussion book. Yep. So as we kind of previewed in last week's episode, um, I'll be talking about An American Marriage by Tiari Jones, and that's from Algonquin Books. And just a brief synopsis, we're talking about um, these Southern newlyweds who are unfortunately um, ripped apart by a prison sentence um, for a crime that the husband, Roy, didn't commit. And as the years go by and um, the wife Celestial is kind of very unsettled and upset by the fact that Roy and her were separated so early in their marriage. She looks for comfort for uh, through her childhood friend and the best man at their wedding, Andre, for support. And it turns into this kind of tangled love story, almost like a triangle between these, these three individuals. Um, and you can kind of see their ups and downs and all the situations they're faced with that are beyond their control a little bit. Yeah. And like I said in the last episode, I, I really actually enjoyed this love triangle and because it was so, I don't know, character driven maybe. Yes. I feel like it's very character driven. Like even though the plot spans a lot of time and a lot of things do happen, it's really because it's a direct result of the characters and they're the ones that are really pushing the story along. And the story is very much focused on their character arcs over time. And you can really see how they change and how 
each of their decisions really affects all three of them. And you can kind of see each person's perspective to everything that's happening um, based off of what, you know, the other folks in the relationship are doing. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about it and I hadn't really thought of this before, but I was reading a review by Jacqueline, uh, one of our other contributors, and she was saying that some people say they're Team Roy or Team Andre, yes. but she's Team Celestial. And I was oh. like, yes. <laughs> Good. Yes. Why did I like not think of this before? But it was like, obviously, like it is very much about Celestial finding her place as an artist, as a woman, as a businesswoman, entrepreneur, all of these things, but also how her relationships with these two men have affected her life. Yeah. Very much like that was actually one of my notes that I had on here to discuss about just how polarizing this book is too. Um, similar to you, I read this, um, I think it was last February, so around this time last year. Um, I think it was a book of month, uh, it was one of my book of the month picks and it was before I had bookstagram and I, I have a couple in like in real life friends that, that read, but I, I didn't really have a lot of people to talk about like, or talk to about this book. And then after I joined bookstagram in the summer, I was just kind of looking up different accounts and I found uh, Reggie's account. He's at Reggie Reads, and he had this whole um, really long post that was really interesting about how he was Team Roy. And I was like, Team Roy? Oh, Team Roy, Team Andre? Like, I didn't know this was a thing. And then I like feverishly am searching like um, the hashtags of like different things and like seeing what people's like kind of arguments were for each side. And I thought it was fascinating that some people like you know, are very much on one side versus the other and that the emotions that people or emotional reactions that people had were very intense for some of these conversations. And I think that's just a real testament to Terry Jones writing style that she can really provoke these very um, polarizing emotions from a wide audience. And even though, you know, I didn't specifically favor one character over the other, I, I was under, able to understand the motivations of each character through the various POVs. And you know, to be honest, every character is flawed in their own way. I'm not going to go over spoilers, but there are numerous points in the book where I was thinking, what are they doing? So I didn't drift. <laughs> I felt like each one had really good motivations, but each one I was like, mm, I did not agree <laughs> with some of the stuff they were doing. But to get such a different reaction from so many people, I think makes a book so interesting and makes me like very eager to discuss it with people. I know we can't do spoilers here. If you read this book based off this episode and you need someone to talk to, you can message me and we can talk about it <laughs> because it's such a, a fun book to talk about um, because it is very twisty turny and there are a lot of things that you're like oh my gosh I can't believe that happened and I feel like some of the characters they're not always super likable so if you're a person who doesn't like unlikable characters this might not be the book for you but I, I actually I tell people that American Marriage is like whiskey and ribbons if the three characters made more mistakes <laughs> and they're more flawed oh, and vice versa yeah <laughs> doesn't it seem that way I'm like it does. when People say like, oh, I loved an American marriage. I'm like, well, if you want like the happy version of an American <laughs> marriage, check out Whiskey and Ribbons because it's incredible. And then if people say I love Whiskey and Ribbons and I was like, well, if you want more drama and more like kind of flawed characters, check out American marriage. I feel like they're going to go well together because they're both love triangles in very different tones and ways. But 
I personally, I feel that having unlikable or flawed characters just makes the story more realistic because no one in the world is perfect and not everyone in the world is likable, as probably all of us know very well. <laughs> and I think it's good to have characters that make your blood boil sometimes because that's just like that's life. And I think that's really cool when an author can really capture that on a page. Yeah. And I remember... Like, I read An American Marriage and Sing and Buried Sing mm. by Desmond Ward around the same time, and they deal with uh, the incarceration of black men in the South. Yes. You know, when you read two books that have similar topics, you always compare them just as an mm -hmm. intellectual exercise. In both stories, there are women waiting for men who have been incarcerated. Yes. I think I had a note in here as well just about... I really loved and enjoyed how the book turned attention to um, our very unjust and very broken criminal justice system and how, yes, it, it doesn't only kind of break the lives of the people who are incarcerated, but all of their family members are affected as well. It's like you're not only punishing one individual, you're, you're punishing so many of their loved ones as well. And you know, in this case for American Marriage, Roy was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but you know, he was really penalized for it because of the color of his skin. And you see all of the, the repercussions and the ripple effect of that inherent um, kind of racism that is experienced by this couple and how it really changes their lives. And I felt like setting this up as the premise um, at the beginning of the novel was a really bold choice. And I really appreciated Tayari Jones' execution of this and that she wanted to focus this in the, in the center of the story and really bring to light that, you know, these people who are imprisoned are not only um, suffering, it's everyone around them as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, Celestial, the waiting woman on, on a husband who is far away has been a trope that we had in literature for almost like the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, Penelope in the Odyssey, the Iliad, that story where she's waiting for Odysseus. Right. And I, I kept thinking, being in, you know, a classic lover, I, I kept thinking about that and how I was always so mad that like Odysseus just assumed that she would wait for him. Mm -hmm. And the complications of that assumption versus their love and their marriage, what was going on with that. And so Celestial has, is in a similar situation where, you know, her husband, for all she knows, is going to be in there for the majority of his life. She has to wait. Is she going to wait for him? Is she not? And it's a similar situation. And I feel like Terry Jones is a much more contemporary interpretation mm -hmm. of that. But also there's complications, obviously, of America, criminal justice system, etc. But it's a very interesting, I guess, trope of women waiting for men. But she takes a totally fresh perspective on it. It is like, to your point about Odysseus, it's almost like the female character is only to become an accessory of the male protagonist. And it's just an assumption made that, oh, yeah, you know, this is the viewpoint and the stereotype that we have for women. And they're just, you know, when the man goes away, they're supposed to, you know, kind of sit there dutifully and wait and be extremely excited when they come home. And it's, it's just, I think in this case, in American Marriage, you get celestial thoughts throughout the process. And she herself, she talks about how she is a very independent person and is very strong-willed and kind of stubborn and like how that clashes with 
you know, the fact that she wants to be her own person and have her own career, but she's still also tied to Roy through this marriage where they can't be apart. And it really kind of deteriorates um, even further from, like you said, their kind of rocky start that is very kind of evident in the very first chapters. You can kind of tell that things are are not going too well and they've only been married, I think, for a year at that point. So it is a really, really uh, in my opinion, a very thought-provoking uh, work of contemporary fiction on, yes, a trope that has been around for a very long time. You know, I, I really appreciate how she also tackles, like, Roy's assumptions. So, like, that his wife will wait for him. And also, he mm-hmm. was the executive, and they were kind of driven by his career. But then right. once he was in prison, Celestial's art, making these very beautiful dolls, uh, mm-hmm. takes off. She gets a storefront. Like, all this stuff happens for her. And mm-hmm. it's like he still expects her to drop everything for him. Right. And this is something that she will and her like push back against that. And then you just throw Andre into the mix and it's like your blender explodes. Like it can't. Yeah. Too many layers. <laughs> I think it's too much going on. But it does add for a lot of kind of drama and what will happen next. And what is this person going to react to all this stuff that's happening in the background? There's a lot of really good layering too. Like you kind of see one side and then you're not going to see that person's reaction for a couple chapters so it kind of like stews in your mind a little bit like oh no like you know Roy's doing this but meanwhile you know Celestial's doing this how is he going to react to that and then you see the reaction and it's very it's almost kind of like watching like a television show or like a a long series or something and it's just very well thought out and just really well woven together as well yeah And, you know, we haven't even talked about the structure of this book, how there's this introduction where we meet them, they're married, it's their first year anniversary, you know, he gets falsely accused. But once he's in prison, it's switched to an epistolary Oh, yes, that's very true. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's, you view their relationship over the course of several years via their letters to each other. Because that's one of the only ways they can communicate since he's in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember when I picked this book up, I read straight through all the way through the end of the letters. <laughs> like, I needed to know what happened. Yes. Uh, yeah. I- <laughs> uh, it's like you can't, you have to know what happens. Like, what what's going to happen to this relationship? You're immediately invested. Yeah, and I'm a sucker for that writing style. Like, I love reading people's letters. I feel like, so when my parents, you know, they, they met my when my dad was in the military, and... When we were younger, my dad would go overseas and we wouldn't see him for uh, like months at a time. It was usually like six months home and then six months away. And for the before email, <laughs> some of our, our younger listeners was like, when was there a time that there wasn't email? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before email, my we would write letters to my dad. Obviously, it was like it's snail mail, especially like out into the you know all these different international countries in the sea. It would take a long time and. I really enjoyed getting a letter from my dad and I would read a lot of the previous ones kind of like sandwiched or stacked on top of each other just to like kind of feel like I was talking to him all the time and telling him what was going on. And whenever I see a book that really features a lot of letters over a long span of time, it just kind of reminds me of my childhood a little bit and I get nostalgic about it a little bit and I just... I. 
have to read them. Yeah. To your point, like all at once, just to, to get that, um, inside of what's going to happen next, because you can span a, a very large chunk of time just with, um, with letters because of the, the longer nature of delivery, uh, for it. So I was really excited to see that section, um, because it really reminded me of when I was younger. Uh, I just feel like letters themselves, like you can see them writing, like you see their handwriting. It's way more personal, you know, and I, I feel like ep- epistolary is something that that style in novels is evolving to email and text messages. And it's just a beautiful way for literature to evolve and grow in different things. So there's a huge topic there we could discuss, but I feel like <laughs> we just don't have the time. <laughs> It's another another theme that we can chalk up for the future, epistolary novels. <laughs> that would be a great theme. Yeah, it would. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> chalk, chalk it up for the future because <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of really good – like I read um, Dear Martin by Nick Stone last year, and he writes letters to Martin Luther King. It's more like a journal, but it's very much written in letter form, and I really – enjoyed he would have a letter and then something that would happen you know, go back to kind of the narrative of his life and then something uh, would happen and he would immediately go back and he's like I need to write a letter about this and so it's kind of on and off between letter and narrative and I felt like the way that Nick Stone wove the two together and really you gain um, the main character's name is Justice you get his inner thoughts as well as you know how outwardly he were he reacts and acts out in the world. And it was so well done. And I, and again, I was just loving all, all the, the letters and journaling going on. But I feel like there's a theme there. I feel like we could do something with that. All right, so that was our first discussion pick, um, An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, and that's out by Algonquin. And we'll be back with our next discussion pick after a word from our sponsor. So the sponsor of this week's episode of Reading Woman is us. Yes, we are so thankful for our patrons. Many of you have been with us from the very beginning supporting this podcast, and not only has it helped make this podcast possible, but also we have loved getting to know so many of you, our biggest fans who support this podcast. Yeah, and that's one of the great things about having a Patreon is that we can develop closer relationships with you all, and we can have discussions about different things about the podcast. Often we will put polls up on our Patreon page and then our patrons will give us feedback on things they like, things they didn't like, things they'd like to see in the future. And one of those things is we have a Patreon book club. Yes, so we have a quarterly book club where the patrons get to vote on what book they would like to read and discuss. And then we have a live hangout, a Google hangout right now, where we all get together and talk about it. And it's a lot of fun. And we're always looking to add new things for our patrons. So, for example, recently we added our patrons to our close friends feature over on Instagram. So we will put special stories into our little feed there and it is available to our patrons because of this cool new feature that Instagram has put up. So uh, today I was showing them like how I edit the podcast and what that looks like. We'll probably end up sharing I don't know, just little behind the scenes things of like what we're reading or what we're doing. So be sure to check that out. And there are different levels that accommodate all kinds of budgets and needs. So ranging from $1 all the way up to $50. So be sure to go and check that out. And as a patron, not only are you helping spread 
the word about women writers, but you're also helping us keep the lights on, as it were, with this podcast. And we greatly appreciate all of your support. And as we mentioned earlier, we would not be able to do this without you all. So if you would like to become a patron of Reading Women, go to patreon.com slash readingwomen and you'll be able to find us there. Or you can check out the link, which will be in the show notes. So I think the next pick that we have is your discussion pick, Kendra. What is the book that you selected? So I picked First Comes Marriage, my not-so-American love story by Huda El Marashi, and this is out from Prometheus Books. And this is the memoir of an Iraqi-American woman's journey with her arranged marriage. And so she is a practicing Muslim. She grew up Muslim. And so she had an arranged marriage, but it was different than her parents. So her mom... Mary like agreed to marry her dad sight unseen and he was much older than her so she always told herself she didn't want to have that kind of marriage but she did have an arranged marriage but she knew him since she was a kid I I really appreciated how this book kind of interacted with that difference definitely and her husband's name is Hadi correct yes yes and I found it very interesting that you know she felt very different about her um, arranged marriage because she had known him for so long as they got more serious about you know potentially becoming married and they get to know each other a little more she realizes even though they grew up in the same community and they knew each other since childhood there was still so much to learn about him which I found really really interesting and it really kind of spins uh, courtship kind of on its head because you know normally at least like with my marriage like I had known my um, the person that I was ma- going to marry for many years because we had this really deep friendship. But in this case, you know, she she knows him, but she doesn't all the way know him. And discovering that was really just very exciting for her, which I kind of felt like that that excitement to learn more about Hadi as well as she was throughout the story. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a more conservative community. And so while my husband and I did not use courtship as our model, we have relatives who did. Mm. And so we were directly involved in that process because, you know, in these, in her arranged marriage, like the families got together, they were very involved in this whole process. And that is very similar to what happened in um, my extended family. And so seeing that work out, even though we practice totally different religions, I was like, yes, chaperones, aren't they annoying? (laughs) Like, yes, everyone has an opinion about your choice of the person that you're dating or courting or whatever your preferred term. And I was like, related so much to a lot of what the topics Lakuta talks about uh, in her memoir. And I was just like, this is the book that I have waited for my entire (laughs) life. Like... I felt so connected to this book, even, and I feel like these principles are things that are universal, that a lot of people who practice conservative religions or just a conservative lifestyle might relate to mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I had no kind of exposure to an arranged marriage or kind of families being involved in marriage choices. And it was a really interesting experience to learn just more about it. But it's really cool to hear about um, kind of your connection to it as well. One of the things I really appreciated was how Huda talks about a lot of like her interaction not just with her religion, but the way her parents interpreted the religion and practice mm. versus her interpretation of her parents. And it's almost like telephone. Mm-hmm. And 
how she realized that, you know, like all adult, you know, grow young adults have to realize their parents aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And in the case of religion, they are your spiritual mentors, essentially. Yeah. So it's like, oh, my parents might have gotten this part of my religion wrong. Mm-hmm. And having to accept that and process that was very much part of this book because she had made a lot of assumptions about her religion and how that would affect her marriage mm-hmm. and how that was actually wrong. Yeah, I always, I also found it interesting. Um, I won't go into more detail for spoiler reasons, but towards the end of the book, she discusses or kind of like looks back on the early parts of um, her life and when she was kind of contemplating who she wanted to marry. She discusses how some of the, the comments and advice that she got from family members, she took kind of more literally than what family members were intending for some of that advice to be. And it, you know, just surprised you know her when she was kind of saying, well, I did, I made this choice because, you know, our family said this and they were like, oh, well, we weren't really being as serious when, when we said that as seriously as she took it, I think. And how, how crazy that is that, you know, when you're, that young and so impressionable and you're really hanging on, on these mentors to, to make these key life decisions, how sometimes stuff does get lost in translation. You are playing this kind of telephone with your, your family because they're really shaping your interpretation. And I thought that self-reflection towards the end of the book was, was really insightful. Definitely. And, you know, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, and we both were very frustrated with Huda and Hadi. Uh, and it's all my words, all the things. I'm just like wanting to shake both of them. Like, what are you doing? I know. But then I remember the like 20 and 22 oh, or whatever yeah. when they get married. And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, right, right. I mean, I got married when I was 23, and I was very stupid, <laughs> but very much in love. I'm, I don't regret a thing, but I'm like, yeah, I was so stupid. And I feel like, you can almost hear like a, a smidgen of tone, like, yes, I was young and I was very stupid and I had romanticized ideas yes. of what parents would be like. Yeah. And she does talk a lot about her expectations and how they were very much, I think, through rose colored glasses and how her expectations were a little bit skewed and that I feel like really shows in the book. But I really appreciated how honest she was about it because it it could be really easy to kind of gloss over some of those early years and just say like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing or or anything. I feel like she was very, at least not knowing anything about her, I feel like she gave a really kind of detailed and accurate representation of some of those mistakes that she made and how it really affected her relationship. And yeah, even though sometimes I I very much just wanted to be like, what are you doing <laughs> to both of them and, and saying like, You're, you could handle this so much differently. <laughs> I really liked that, you know, she created or she wrote this story and said, you know, it's okay if I'm not the most, you know, likable because I, everybody makes these mistakes. And I really appreciate that honesty because if I'm putting, if I were to write a memoir and like putting my whole life out there, it'd be very difficult to, to say, you know, I think some of the things that I did when I was younger and be like, Ugh, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think oftentimes, you know, when we look back and we're younger, you know, our feelings were still there. Like they're very, mm-hmm. they're still, they're still valid. I guess we still, there's still things that need to be addressed. It's still genuine, right? Feelings. Mm-hmm. So even if 
they're coming from a place that is from a misconception, there's still something that she had to deal with. And I appreciated like when they were first married, she was very much an academic. She, while her husband was in between med school and his undergrad, she finished Mm -hmm. her undergrad degree in like, you know, two years and almost a year, basically. Right. (laughs) And she was very, you know, he he was very attentive with household work and different things. But then when he went to med school and she was following him, she was like, no, I don't want to fold the laundry this way. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember her talking about socks, like how you shouldn't ball socks because of the elastic. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. why you do that. Like, I forgot about that part. <laughs> you could see where, you know, how he was putting in the effort in, in some ways and then she wasn't. But then there's also situations where it's vice versa. Mm-hmm. There's this quote that I read in an interview um, that Huda gave. And she says, um, talking about this idea of likable. The interviewer is saying, I admire your willingness to really reveal yourself, to make yourself real before likable. And Akuda responds with this paragraph. And at the end, it says, and I think being loving doesn't mean you paint someone glowingly. Mm. Rather, you render them alive and fully human. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I really appreciate that because Huda is a young woman, a very ambitious young woman, yes. but also a very devout woman who wants to do best by her community, her parents, her God, and what she believes is right for her life. Mm-hmm. And those two, are, I feel like there's a tension yes. there in conflict throughout the book. Definitely. there. I felt like there was a lot of internal struggle that she expresses you kind of get some of her thoughts obviously and you can see how they influence her decisions in the way that she acts to other people but there is that kind of internal struggle between being committed to the marriage but also wanting to chase her dreams and her aspirations and I felt like that was really you know very insightful to to show and she really tries to find the best balance of you know how to deal with the sacrifices she's made for the sake of her marriage but you know there are also sometimes where she's very outward about it and it does kind of create this this prickly kind of feeling between her and her husband because yeah there are there are times where she's just like well, you know what? I've had to give up X, Y, Z and, you know, I'm not going to fold the socks that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I, when it, I feel like it's totally warranted for, for some of the things that, that she, she, she does. And so I felt like that was really, really good representation of her experience and how she didn't kind of shy away from, from those issues. And I mean, marriage is difficult no matter what, backgrounds you are and oh yeah <laughs> i really appreciate her commenting that if you share the same religion as your spouse and background that you relate on that level she makes out there's this article i'm gonna link in the show notes and it's like seven things i wish more people understood about my arranged marriage and how she's like you know there can be good things about getting married for pragmatic reasons uh, to, you know, sharing backgrounds can be very helpful in a marriage. And like just a lot of basic things that really debunk a lot of assumptions that we have about arranged marriage and that there, you know, I remember I met um, when I was younger, when I was about, you know, 12, 13, I met a couple who were very much in love and they would walk around church. They were visiting and they were from India and they would walk around church holding hands. And I said, you know, I was talking to them and she said that her dad had arranged her marriage with her husband. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. I was like, 
how does that work? And she says, there's this assumption that because you don't love your spouse in the beginning, that you will never fall in love with them. But she says, you often fall in love with your spouse after you get married. Mm. And she really blew my mind about what arranged marriage was like what and they obviously were so much in love they were a (laughs) middle-aged couple they had kids yeah walk around like the hands holding and like all this stuff and i'm like you're so physically affectionate like and she said you know in theory if you're you know my dad asked me yeah there's this really great guy in this college that he runs like he he loved him would you consider him? She met him. She talked to him. And there was this whole process. Um, and that's another assumption that Huda discusses is like, we think arranged marriage is a forced marriage, but often it's just like matchmaking. Yes. I think that was mainly her her parents' story as well, right? They didn't know each other very well. And then, um, you know, they kind of learned to love each other later on in their marriage. And I think that was something that her mom uh, conveyed to her saying, you know, there, there's going to be bumps in the road, but, um, you know, she, I think she was very confident that her and Hadi could work out their differences because it was something that her and her, um, husband had done together as well. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that like who those mom and dad were very different in age. And that was one of the things that the mom had emphasized, like, because, Huda does struggle in her marriage in the beginning. And so her mom's like, but you're around the same age. So I thought you'd be okay. Right. And it was sort of like Mm -hmm. the problems that she had, her mom experienced in her marriage, she thought would be solved by having a closer in age marriage, but they're just a whole new set of problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting that, you know, she kind of mentions that because her and Hadi grew up in the same community and they were the same religion, you know, it'd be, there wouldn't be a lot of issues when it came to their religion. And it turned out that Hadi was just a lot more strict about some of the rules. And it was very just eye-opening that even though you can be in the same community and everything, the way that you're brought up and the the way your parents interpret things is kind of going back to your the parents kind of being the mentors for these types of things, you know, can really influence your interpretation of the religion and how you practice. And she realized um, early on in their marriage that they practiced and were thought very differently about kind of the rules around things. And it it caused, yeah, another set of hurdles that were kind of unexpected that, you know, who would have never really thought would be an issue. And I... I keep thinking about this scene where they're on their honeymoon and she wants to wear a bathing suit because mm-hmm. she's married now. And like, you know, he's the one that we watching her and there's like naked people running around in Europe. And right. she's like, you know, I'm she's like, it's not a big suit. deal. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, whatever. Um, and she said at the time, like they hadn't didn't have Muslim bathing costumes at you know, when she got married. So but how do you views their bodies as just for themselves? Mm-hmm. Like hers is for him and he's is for her and so that he should also be modest for his wife and it was just very interesting like his interpretation of modesty right well he was um i feel like that the thing that surprised me and i think uh huda as well was when um she's picking her wedding gown she invited you know other female like her her mom and her mother-in-law everything to come and see her try on dresses and Hadi had mentioned that he didn't want her changing in front of the other women that were attending the appointment. And she was like, 
why not? Like women like change in front of each other all the time. Like we all have the same, you know, you know, body parts. And he was like, well, now that we're betrothed, like your body is, you know, only for my eyes to see. And I was like, oh, wow, that is, that is not how I would have interpreted the situation. And she, and she was also surprised. She was like, oh, well, you know, that doesn't really matter to me. Like we're all, you know, I'm not letting any other man see my body, but like women are fine. And it was just another very instance of this clash that was not only surprising, I think to me as a reader, but was also surprising uh, to Huda and something that she wouldn't have thought of, but because of this, the interpretation of, um, you know, values was, was very different between her and her, Beyonce. Yeah. So obviously we were really fascinated by this book uh, <laughs> for multiple different reasons. And I feel like, you know, Sumaya, uh, one of our contributors and I have a lot of conversations about um, conservative religion and, and practicing and some of the things, misconceptions that she wished Westerners would understand. And I feel like this book tackles so much of that uh, there's so many different things. This is, again, a disclaimer, you know, just a story from a singular person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's still so many valuable things to learn if you are not a conservative Muslim person um, and wanting to learn more about that. Absolutely. I I learned a lot. And yeah, definitely keeping in mind that it's one person's experience and they, you know, aren't expected to speak for their uh, entire uh, population. But I found it very intriguing and I learned so much and definitely want to dive into more books kind of about uh, the conservative uh, religious aspects of um, being Muslim. And it, I think, was a really good first book for me to pick up and learn more about it. And in April, we will be talking more about uh, Muslim fiction in particular with Ramadan reading and Sumaya has got your back. Yes. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> I've seen her book lists and they're fabulous. So listeners, you have so much to look forward to. But yeah, so this is a first taste of that. And so that is First Comes Marriage by Huda al-Marashi. And that's out from Prometheus Books. And you should definitely go check that out if you haven't already. And that's it. That's our month, our first month. Yay! You, you you recorded your first two podcasts. How do you feel? I feel great. I just love talking about <laughs> books. <laughs> so I I hope that if my comments can kind of spur someone to add a book to their TBR or to pick it up from the library, I feel like that uh, is a mission accomplished for me. So hopefully comments were helpful, but I just love talking books and I love talking with Kendra. So it's a, it's a two for one. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I love talking with you. I feel like we could talk, talked about both of these books right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but we have gone a little over time. So, <laughs> so that is it for today. That's our show. But many thanks to our patrons who support make this podcast possible. If you're interested in becoming one of our patrons, definitely check out our website. Uh, If you haven't yet, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already left us a review. Uh, And also definitely check out our newsletter where we have new books and reviews and so much more. You can find our newsletter, a link to our Patreon page, and all of the things on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com. 
Join us next time uh, where Jacqueline and Kendra will be talking uh, from Australia and the surrounding archipelago. Uh, In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me on Instagram at Sachi Reads. Thanks so much for listening to The Reading Women. 